0: We can go ahead and grab a seat. As you are, I just want to uh, say hello. So glad you're here with us and worshiping. My name is Dave Jacobson. I'm one of the pastors here, and I uh, want to also welcome everyone who's joining us uh, on the stream from afar. Glad you could be with us and worship in that way. I uh, want to ask you to go ahead and grab your Bible. Hopefully you brought one. Um, you can uh, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love for you to see what we're looking at this morning. And so if you are here in the room, you'll find one under 1 one of the seats in front of you. You can feel free to uh, grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that home with you. That would be our gift to you. Um, just want to have you uh, see it for yourself. We are in this series that we're calling Living Hope as we're walking through the letter uh, from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. and uh, We are uh, learning from it and uh, growing in it. and. It's a timely letter for us right now. And so as we get ready to uh, look at our passage this morning, uh, I want to take a poll of the room, if I could. Um, those of you that are online, you can uh, participate. Just go ahead and comment in the uh, section here. I'm going to ask you to put yourself in one of two categories, and there's not um, there's not a like not, not in a category, all right? So you got you to jump in one. Um, the two categories are this. Are you, if you had to pick one, more of a day person or a night person? is night your thing is that your time or is day when you are uh, you know really functioning and going Um, think about it for just a second all right and ask for those of you in the room show of hands those of you online you can put in the comments so those of you that are at night people let's see where you at raise your hand night people all right there's quite a few a lot of our younger folks some of the older folks and uh yeah we got a mix it's all good okay how about uh, day people where are the day people you got to pick one the person didn't put, put your, uh, their hand up next to him, you just like elbow them and call them out. Yeah. All right. So... Um You know, We tend to get in one of two categories, and what I've experienced, and certainly is true in our marriage, those of you that are married, you tend to kind of marry the opposite, uh, which sometimes cause some some issues, some problems, right? Um, I am the night person, my uh, wife would be uh, the day person, although she just claims that I don't need sleep, like period, and I can just kind of, I can operate all day and kind of go, Um, but she, when she needs her sleep, she needs her sleep. She's out, she's gone for the count, she's like... Not you know super fun to be around if that doesn't happen. So I've learned that uh, through experience, right? Um, that uh, we can't operate on kind of the exact same schedule, and so we kind of have figured out how to how to do that together. Um, yeah, but people tend to sort of fall in one category. Uh, some of you, um, you man, when those when the sun goes down, those creative juices sort of start flowing. You start thinking, you start being able to do some things, get some things done, um, whatever. Like that's you know, you're, it's not time for sleep. Others of you when night comes that it's 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 time to stop Time to power down, and you'll be with the world in like 12 hours, right? And that's, uh, that's kind of how, if you had your pick, right, you, that would be 12 hours, maybe more. Um, and uh, we are entering into a new season in our home. We've got, we're approaching the teenage years, and so um, we were out kind of late with some family um, uh, on Friday, and the girls got to bed pretty late, and um, our oldest slept until, like, I think it was a world record, I think it was like 11 in our house. She's never done that before. I was like, wow, okay, we got a new, new world coming, um, and uh, I love it. But here's the thing. Spiritually speaking, because we are talking about the spiritual uh, night and day this, this morning, uh, there is this language that Paul used in this passage we're looking at in First Thessalonians 5 where he talks about people of the day and people of the night. And there's really just the two categories. Uh, everyone really falls into one of the two categories And so, yeah, physically, you might be more of a night person, more of a a day person, but spiritually speaking, if you are a follower of Christ, we are called to be people of the day, not kind of the physical day. You can still be a night person and a people of the day, but we're called to be spiritually people of the day. And he unpacks this, this sort of idea here. And uh, the whole thing is framed up in what we said last week. We're kind of looking at um, this section where he deals with some things regarding eschatology, uh, which is the word that means the study of the end things, end times, and the last days, right? And uh, last week, we looked at the passage at the end of chapter four, and his purpose there was in bringing up these things of the end of time, was to encourage those who were mourning, who were grieving. See, some in the church had lost loved ones, had lost family members, had lost friends, and they were worried that they died before Christ had come back. And so, what does that mean for them? Are they lost forever? And Paul was writing to encourage them and to say, no, uh, that if they are in Christ, when Christ returns and he will return, they will be raised to be with Christ. And so you do not need to mourn as others mourn. And so the specific purpose in bringing up that category and heading in that direction was to encourage and to build them up and to equip them with this truth. So he continues in the same sort of related topic. We're still dealing with the end times, but this is a very different purpose. You see, I think for us, a lot of times our conversation, if you've had some, about eschatology, tends to focus... More on the specifics of interpreting the when and the how of Christ's return, rather than on the way that knowing that should shape us. Um, I think actually Paul, especially in this passage, is far less concerned with the specifics around the day that is coming, and very concerned about how the church is living out their lives in light of that reality, And so I think for us, that's the kind of focus, the emphasis that we want to take this morning is less of unpacking the specifics of it's going to look like this and then it's going to happen here and it's going to do this and all that. That's good. It's worth studying. It's worth looking at what Christ has said, what he hasn't said, what is there in God's word, what is not there. It's really good for us to examine that, but in all of it, the whole purpose in giving it to us, God is trying to shape us by it. You see, God has been less clear on the times and dates and some of the exact ways that things are going to unfold, and he has been super clear, crystal clear, on how we are to live as a result of it. And so what we want to do is we want to focus our attention and our application in on that, and we want to hold tightly to those things, because God has been abundantly clear on how we are to live in light of this reality. And so this is where we want to give our first and foremost attention to that. And so the language in verse uh, 5 of chapter 5, it says, you are children of the light, children of the day, and not children of the night, not children of the darkness. And so we want to do this. We want to be people of the day. This is what Christ has called us to. So that's the title for the sermon this morning is People of the Day. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and let me just give you uh, the, um, actually, let me read it, and then I'm going to kind of give you the the sort of main focus of this. Let's look at the passage together, and then we're going to walk our way through it. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says this, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is God's word for us, and the main thrust, the main thing that we want to see here this morning, the main place that this passage is going is this. Here's the big idea, I encourage you to write it down if you're taking notes, it's this, is that our future reality must shape our present identity. Our future reality must shape our present re- identity. That means if you understand the future and what God is doing and where he's taking us and what he's doing, that that matters for life now. That affects some things now. And so we don't just study this to sort of get fat heads and just kind of know a bunch of things. We want to study this this morning so that we would be shaped by it and that it would change the way that we live and that it would affect the things that we're saying, the things that we're doing, the way that we're viewing things. We want to shape our present identity by this future reality. And so let me just pray that God would take us there, that he would teach us now as we open his word. These are his words that we are studying, and so um, let's just pray and ask God to do that now. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, and as we do each week, we want to approach it, God, with humility, asking for your understanding, God, your grace to be given as we seek to uh, learn and to apply And so, God, thank you for the promises, for the truth that's here in your word. And, Lord, we just ask that you would teach us now. And so, Lord, we give you the attention of our thoughts. God, we give you our minds now. We ask that you will uh, speak to us, that your spirit would be uh, teaching us. And, God, we ask that all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Well, here's what what I want to do. As we walk through this, I want to I kind of look at what are five things, five sort of truths that people of the day hold on to, all right? Let me give you the first one, and I'll show it to you there in the passage. It's this. People of the day live with an awareness of the future that is coming. If we want to be people of the day, we have to live with this awareness of the future that is coming. Look at verse one again. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, and the language there is sisters as well, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. I love it. Here's Paul again. You remember he wrote this a couple couple weeks ago, the passage we looked at. He says, hey, about this topic, you have no need for anyone to write to you except I'm gonna to write to you about it and I'm gonna tell you, right? His point is, is that you should know, you know. There's been things that have been said, there's been things that have been taught, we are with you, we gave you this truth and so we don't need to write to you, but you're asking or you, you have some doubts or whatever and so we're going to write to you. So we have no need to write, but here we are, we're writing to you for you yourselves. Why do you have no need to write to you? For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape, right? Here's the reality, the truth that Paul has already told them and he's trying to remind them of is that Christ is coming back again, right? It's what he's writing here. They're they're concerned about it, but what happened is, is that remember Timothy went to sort of check on them, see how it was going. And so Timothy reported back, hey, the church is doing well, they're growing, they're loving, they're, they're serving uh, the other churches, and, and, and things are well there, but they may have sent back some sort of question, hey, what about the day of the Lord? Like this seems to be um, a, a, something that was on their mind, that they were asking about, that Paul was writing to, that's why he wrote the passage from, um, uh, that we looked at last week, right? He's addressing some of the questions. And he says, hey, about that, about the coming of Christ, you have no need for me to write you because you already know. What do you already know? You know that Christ is coming back. And how? Well, there's two pictures uh, that we get in this. We don't get a date, we get pictures. So he says, concerning the times and the seasons. They're like, when? When's the date? When's when's Christ coming? He's like, I'm not gonna give you a date. We don't have a date. And isn't that kind of what we would like, right? We would like to have a date. We don't have a date. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. We're just waiting for it, and we know that it's going to be soon. And so I just tell you, church, if anyone tells you that they know when Jesus is coming back, like they've done the math, they've figured it out, they kind of know, they have a date, they don't have a date, all right? That person's wrong. We don't need that. Why do I know that? Why can I confidently say that? Well, because Jesus himself said that. When he was on earth, Mark 13, 32, He said, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son. That's him, the son of man, but only the father. When Jesus was on earth, only the father knew the date. He's like, the angels don't even know. So we don't know. If someone says they have a date, they don't know. But yet, what happens? People continue to pick dates and say they know when Christ is coming back. There have been books written about dates. Have you seen them? Have you read them? Do you know? Have you ever looked at any of those? What's, what's funny to me, and I'm not making fun of you if this is you, I'm just saying don't do it ever again, like it's foolish. Um, you don't need to buy these books. Read your Bible, and it will tell you that there is no date. We don't know the date. This guy, Edgar uh, Wissenent, I don't know how to say his last name, I apologize, Edgar, um, but you wrote a book, Edgar, if you're watching this. I don't think he is. In 1988, He published this book in 1988, and his premise was Christ was coming back in 1988. The title of the book was 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Well, here we are in 2021, and we know that that didn't happen, Uh, but that wasn't Edgar's only book. He wrote another one the next year. It's called The Final Shout, Rapture Report, 1989. He got some things off, and so he wrote it again and said, no, it's actually coming this year. 1989 is gonna be the, the year. And here's the thing, he sold a lot less of those books, but people still bought that book. If it's like volume two of like, I have a date, I don't know what you're doing at that point, right? But that wasn't where it stopped. Volume three came out four years later, 1993. 23 reasons why the war rapture would happen in 1993, and then he wasn't done again in 1994. All right, decidedly, less sales each and every time. But here's the point, poor Edgar. He's missing it, that was never the goal. And so as the people of the church of Thessalonica are writing to Paul, are sending word to Paul, they want to know the times, they want to know the seasons. Hey, what's the date? When's Christ coming? What's it going to look like? What are all the circumstances? And Paul's like, you have no need for me to write to you. Why? Because you are fully aware. See, people of the day are aware that Christ is returning, and there's two pictures that he gives. You know that Christ is returning, and it's going to come, what, like a thief in a night, and like labor pains to a pregnant woman woman these are the two pictures that we have of this and you know we can kind of wrap our head around both of them um in some degree, I think, uh, you know, on the second, the pregnant woman, I've walked with my wife through five pregnancies. I would never claim, ladies, just hear me on this, okay? I'm not claiming to know what that's like, all right? So that's not, I'm smarter than that. I'm not an idiot. Um, so I'm not gonna stand up here and say that. But I think the point of the illustration can be clearly understood. Let's look first at the thief in the night. It says, well, people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, Right? They will not escape this idea that they're going to be surprised. They're going to be caught off guard. You know, um, it matters when that uh, visitor comes, right? Uh, We've never had a thief in our home, though we did have one in our car. The most annoying part about it, they rifled through our car and they stole that little ashtray. I keep changing that thing. And it was gone. They took it. They took the whole ashtray. I'm like, just take the change. Leave the ashtray. It's, more, it's worth more than all of the, I had to track this thing down on eBay and get a new ashtray. And, uh, you know, kind of auction some guy out from uh, from like, you know, Ohio or something. I, and, and man, it caused such a pain. But one time, one time, um, our oldest came into our room in the middle of the night. And if you have kids, maybe you've experienced this. There's like that incoherent talking sort of happening. And we're like, oh, she's still asleep. Like, you know, you really, as a parent, you know, in love, want to mess with them at that point. Um, but we didn't, you know, we kind of like tried to hear what she was saying and she was expressing something about being sort of hot. She wanted to drink of water. She was trying to do something. We didn't quite understand what she was saying. And so I said to Bri, I said, ah, I better help her get back to bed. I'm just going to make sure she kind of gets there. And so what I did is I kind of walked out of a room and uh, her room's kind of around the corner, but I have to pass the stairs that go downstairs, you know, um, to our main level um, to, uh, to get to her room. And when I did, I looked down and right there is our entryway, and the front door was wide open. And this is like 2 a.m. This is the middle of the night, okay? So at 2 a.m., when your front door is wide open, that terrifies you. And I figured, I don't know what she was doing, but at my best guess is like she was trying to get out. She wanted to like cool off or something. It was a cooler night, and she was looking for some, some relief there. And so she's like, I was like, I, I don't think I slept for the rest of the night, right? like i was terrified because that's not you don't want to see your door open in the middle of the night we like started doing that little chain thing and we're like man we're going to put some bells or something down there so she can't get out but turn this picture around right if it happens 2 p.m. middle of the afternoon i walk by and i see the door open totally different reaction right, because I'm like, oh, kids left the door open again, crazy kids, right, go down, shut the door, and it's no big deal, but because it's in the middle of the night, you're not expecting it, see, this is the kind of the picture, it's like this thief, I, that's what, that was my question, did someone come in, like, I think it was Ellie, but did somebody else, was there something else happening, right, that is the picture, is that you're caught unaware, but he says, no, you yourselves are fully aware, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, Verse four, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. We are not surprised. We know that it's coming, and so people of the day live aware that it is coming. The other illustration, the other picture he uses there is like labor pains to a pregnant woman. Put yourself back in the day and in the time. Thank the Lord that technology has advanced. We have a little bit more um, sort of technology around uh, childbirth, Um, but that was a scary time for families, for women, for the babies being born. Um, They didn't know quite with preciseness that we do today, right? We have uh, several uh, pregnant ladies in the church right now, super excited about that. My wife is even more pumped about that. We don't have a baby in the home right now, so she's like, keep it coming, ladies, come on. She just wants more babies around. Like We're gonna grow the church one way or another, so good job, keep it up. That's fantastic. Uh, business is good. If you wanna get in the nursery, uh, business is good in the nursery right now, okay? you can. Uh, there's plenty of babies to go around and hold uh, down there. And we have um, some uh, ladies in the church expecting, and each one of them, if you are to ask, they know their date. Right? We, we have a date of when, of when that baby is uh, supposed to come, right? If it's a first baby, they maybe are blocking out kind of the eight weeks around that date. If it's their third or fourth, they're like, man, I really hope it's got to come like on the date because I've got things to do after, got things to do before. I'm kind of sexually, like just scheduling for that day, right? Like that's, that's kind of it. But they didn't have that. As Paul's writing like they had some good guesses, but they didn't know kind of with the preciseness of what we're looking at They didn't have the ultrasounds to sort of know. Hey, it's getting closer or we need to you know You can expect this or that kind of thing I'm sure there were plenty of times that they were sort of caught unaware When the child pains start to come right the labor pains begin to come. There's no turning that off It's coming. This baby is coming and that's what he's saying is that there, when, when Christ comes again, when this day comes, it will come and catch some unaware, and there is no stopping it. They will not escape. But what Paul is writing, he says, hey, regarding those seasons, the times, the date, I don't need to write you about that. But what I do need to write you about is you need to be aware. And so we're spending a little bit more time on this point, but I think uh, the, the reason is this is that we need to live with an awareness of the future that is coming. It starts right there, that Christ is coming back. We don't know how, we don't know when, we don't know all of the ways that it's going to unfold, but we are fully aware that Christ is coming and we live with that awareness in light of that day. And so as the church For generations, for centuries, has tried to determine and figure out, like, what has Christ told us? Because he's told us other things about his arrival, right? We're kind of sticking during this passage, like, to this passage. We did that last week. Maybe to the frustration of some of you, it's like, well, I want to know, you know, all of the ins and outs. Tell me everything. And we, that would take us way more time than we have right now in this service to sort of unpack all of that. And it's not even here. Like, that's not what Paul's writing about. But I just want to hear you to hear me say it's worth studying, like it's worth looking at how these things unfold. So the book of Revelation has been given to us for a reason. We have some of these prophecies, these, these passages of prophecy where it says how some of these things are going to play out, and we sort of do our best work to interpret and to understand what it is. Most of the disagreement, or most of the confusion, I should say, really rests in what this thousand year reign of Christ is going to look like. Like that's where most of it sort of comes down to for the church today and uh, that's mentioned, if you want to look at it later, on Revelation chapter 20, uh, first six verses especially speak about this thousand-year reign of Christ. We call it the millennium. And so some, you know, for, for generations have said that the millennium, we're already there. We're living in the millennium, and the next thing is that Christ is going to uh, come again. Others would say that the millennium is something off in the future, and that the, uh, the, the, that, is, that is something that's going to happen, that Christ is going to return. He's going to take those who are alive, those who are dead, and he's going to establish his earthly reign here for a thousand years and uh, and that is yet to come and there is this sort of disagreement with that. Now I would just say for us today as the church is that we need to begin with this awareness that Christ is coming. Let's do the work, let's look at it, let's study it, but let's not divide more than we need to over these things. Because you can, there are faithful believers, faithful Christians who land in different spots on this. As a church, we do land somewhere. We have landed somewhere. I just want to read from our doctrinal statement where we are at as a church. It says this: uh, We believe in the ex- and expectantly await the glorious, visible, personal premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessed hope of His return has vital bearing on the personal life, service, and mission of the believer. We believe in the bodily resurrection of both the saved and the lost. The lost will be raised to judgment and experience eternal wrath and hell. The saved will be raised to eternal joy in the new heaven and the new earth in the manifest presence of God. Now again, I don't have time to kind of unpack all of this, but I believe that this is the place for us to land as a church. But again, we want to hold some of the specifics of the how and what it looks like a little bit loosely. And understand that, you know what? We probably don't have it all figured out. But the point that Christ calls us to, the point that Paul is driving home for the church is true for us today is that if we are people of the day, we live aware of the future that is coming. And so do study it. I'm not, don't hear me say that it's not worth studying. It's totally worth studying. Do the work. I'd love to talk to you more about it. If you want to, like, figure it out and kind of talk, drill down more, well, what about, okay, premillennialism, what are we talking? Pre trib, post trib, mid trib, what is this? If that doesn't mean anything to you, that's okay, all right? Like, it's worth studying, though. It's worth looking at, and we can figure that out together. The big thing is Christ is coming back. Here's the second thing. Write this down. People of the day live with an identity in the Lord that is transforming. An identity in the Lord that is transforming. Verse five, you are all children of the light, children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. Notice the language that Paul uses there. He says, you are, you are this, you are that. You are children of the light, you are children of the day. And then he says, we are not, we are not of the night. We are not of darkness. This is identity language. You see, we have a thousand things that are trying to define us, a thousand ways that we try and define ourselves, right? Um, there's many, many things that we would point to and that our culture would point to, that our world would point to, that would define who we are, where we find our identity. We've said this before and we'll continue to beat this drum is that our identity, church, is to be found in Christ. Alone, He is the one who defines who we are. And so this isn't something that we sort of arrive at on our own, just kind of thinking about it. This is something that Christ gives to us. He gives us this identity. And so he has made them children of the light. He has made them children of the day. That's what he's done for us. Christ makes us so that we are people of the day, and that identity, when you know your identity, that shapes and defines who you are. It transforms you. This is the language that's used in Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect it's this not conforming to the world but being transformed that begins with that understanding of your identity. And I would just say this, and the world would agree, who you are is super important. Right? Who you are is super important. But I would say this, is how you get to understand who you are is even more important. Like who God says you are is the most important. That is the reality that matters so essentially for us. And I wonder today, do you know who God says you are? I know some things about you. I know that God created you in his image. I know that he cares for all of his image bearers, enough that he would send his son to die for you. If you've never received the free gift of salvation that's offered through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that that's something he's holding out to you. But I know this, if you have confessed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've believed upon him for salvation, then I know that you are a person, a people of the day, that he's transformed you, he's made you, he's turned you into this. Who you are is determined by God. And I would say that who you believe you are is almost equally as important. You need to believe the same way that God believes. What he believes about you matters and what you believe about you, it should align. And so if God says you are this, then you believing that and living that out and being transformed by that, being shaped by that is so, so important. And that's what he's reminding them. He says, listen, you are children of the light. You are children of the day and this truth should transform you. Believe that he is doing this work and he's the one who's doing the shaping. You know, I've got just a bunch of kind of Several kid illustrations. Can I use another one? I got, a, I got one more coming. So, um, I, I've said it before. There's not a lot else happening in like life right now. I'm kind of like here and around you guys, and then I'm home with my kids. Can anyone relate? It's kind of like working home. That's about it. And some, t- some of you, it's still like working home is the same place. So there's like nothing. So that's all I got. I got st- I got kid stories this morning. All right. So my kids, they love to make these little things out of clay. I don't know where this clay comes from, but it's this kind of clay that sits out and just sort of dries on the counter. And every once in a while, I'll come home and there'll be some shape sitting there. And um, I always think it's amazing, but I don't always know what it is. Right, And uh, sometimes I can tell, and I'm like, oh, I think I know, but I never say that I know because if I'm wrong, that's not going to go too well, right? I need them to tell me who it is. So what I'll do is I'll be like, hey, who made this? And I'll call them in and be like, hey, what is this? Tell me about it. And they're like, oh, it's a rose. And I'm like, I see that. Yeah, that's awesome, right? It's always amazing. It's It's always fantastic. But the thing is, is they are the ones who decided, and they're the ones who shaped it. That clay didn't get any say in it. Like, that clay wasn't the one who got to choose. The creator got to choose who they are and what that identity was, and they shaped it into that. You see, this is what we also see in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 18 talks about Jeremiah visiting the potter, and he sees the potter working at the potter's wheel, and he's shaping the clay and forming the clay, and it disfigures, it sort of breaks down. And what he does is he begins to reform it into something new, and he says, listen, this is what the potter can choose to do, and this is what the potter being God, is choosing to do with Israel at the time, that they've walked away and they've disobeyed and they've been become deformed, distorted from God's picture for him. But he says, but if they submit to the potter's hands, if they listen to what the potter has said, if they begin to follow the potter's ways, that he can reshape them and reform them into something new. This is what he's doing in our hearts. You see, we are disordered we are disfigured, we are disformed, and He is trying to reshape us and remake us into something new. And he's the one who gets to set that identity and say that. We aren't the ones who say that. It's so important, so crucial for us that our identity is found in Christ alone. People of the day live with an identity in the Lord that transforms. We need to live out the identity that God has called us to. We need to live out this identity of the pe- being people of the day. How do we do that? Well, that's what the next thing is in verse uh, six. He continues, he says, so then, let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. Here is what people of the day do. People of the day live with an alertness to the danger that is attacking. This is a warning, but it's a call to action. Let us, let us do this. Let us not sleep. Let us keep awake. He says, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. Those are nighttime activities. Those are what the people of the night do. We are people of the day, and so we don't do those things. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and of love for a helmet of the hope of salvation. Two pictures that Paul uses here. The first is that of sleep. And you know what it's like to be asleep. You're, you're unaware. You don't know. Some of you like, wish you could sleep like that. Some of you maybe sort of hover. You know, you're just kind of like you're on like just like that, um, you know, if you've got an electronic device or something, you kind of tap and it like, you know, springs to, to life. Others of you are like power down, right? Full reboot needed. It's going to take a minute. to kind to get that thing going again. That's how some of you sleep. There's like different ways that we sleep. Regardless, the point is still the same is that at night when you sleep, you're, you're checked out. You're not aware, you're not not there, you're not present for it. And he says, listen, let us not sleep. We need to stay awake, we need to stay engaged, we need to stay in tune with what God is doing. My daughter says, Dad, does that mean you can't take naps on Sunday afternoon? I said, no, 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 you're misapplying that passage. I said, you need to read your Bible closer, girl. Like this is, she's like, Dad, are you gonna sleep this I'm like, no, that, for sure, Sunday afternoons are for naps. You can sleep during the day, right? That's not what he's saying. He says spiritually, let us keep awake, keep engaged because those who sleep, sleep at night. We are not people of the night. We're people of the day, so let's stay awake. And he says also, those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Now he's fully aware. He knows people sleep during the day. People drink during the day. But he says these are what people of the night do and they do it at night. Being people of the day, we are not to be drunk We're not to give ourselves over to anything. We're not to be controlled by any other substance or, or again, checked out, numbed, disengaged, disconnected. The point is, let us keep sober. Let us keep alert. Let us keep a lookout for Christ and his coming so that we are ready for that day to come. He says, because of your identity, because you are children of the light, children of the day, you then should be sober and awake, staying alert. Why? Because there is a danger that is on the attack for us. I said I had another kid illustration. Here it is. My kids have been getting into rollerblading lately, this spring. It's been kind of the thing. I loved rollerblading when I was a kid. One of the things that's kind of reignited it in my kind of, I'm, I'm fully like on board with this rollerblading thing because that Mighty Ducks series has come out. Some of you have been watching that, right? Um, we've, been, we've been watching that. We went back to watch all those old Mighty Ducks. Man, I loved rollerblading because of Mighty Ducks. I thought that was like, where it was at, and um, I've been told that rollerblading went away for a while, but I think it's back. If it's not back, like our crew is bringing it back. Like we're here, we're in it, and so they've been a little thrown off by these colder temperatures because we thought we had some good rollerblading days ahead. But as they've been getting these rollerblades, one of the things that we needed early on was okay, we got to get some pads for you guys, right? We need some protection, so they have the uh, the knee pads. They got the elbow pads, they got the wrist guards, and they got the helmet. Now, Dad, I'm a huge fan uh, of the uh, the wrist guards, because when I was in college, I was rollerblading with a friend, and I broke my hand. I wasn't wearing wrist guards. And so I know that those things help, and you need those wrist guards. And so I've told them, I said, hey, if you, if you if you wear, you have to wear, like, all of it, or most of it, I say. Uh, you for sure need a helmet. You definitely need those wrist guards. Knee pads is like, that's recommended. Elbow pads, eh, a little bit iffy on those. You don't hit that elbow that often. And so my daughter, sure enough, um, uh, Martha, was out there yesterday, and she was rollerblading, and she was not wearing the elbow pads, because Dad said, nah you can kind of take or leave the elbow pads. And sure enough, what happened, right, she nailed her elbow. And it was bleeding, and, and, uh, and I said, well, we should probably start wearing those elbow pads, right? Well, here's the thing, is uh, they're not out there in full-on protection, like all, you know, <laughs> some sort of body armor, body suit, you know, like I'm not rolling them down with, with a bubble wrap or something like that. They just have those key parts are protected and sort of guarded, because that's the part that, that is most susceptible, that they're going to fall on, that they're going to hit, well, part of the alertness is the preparedness that, that, that Paul's calling the church to. Look at verse eight. He says, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. He's like, you need a breastplate and you need a helmet. You need to guard yourself. There are some key areas that are, are susceptible to attack that you need to protect yourself, and here's how you protect it. It's with the faith and love in Jesus Christ, and it's with hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. This is what protects that heart. It protects those vital organs. That's what protects your mind, the thoughts that you have. It's protected by the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Man, if my kids, if I'm worried about them kind of putting on this protection, how much more so would a Roman military unit, which is where this kind of imagery comes from, how much more would they need this protection? And he's like, who are you? Like, why would you go into battle? You know, you're sober, you're awake, you're alert. So get ready, get prepared, because the enemy is going to attack. And here's what we have to be reminded of, church, is that the battle is real, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready, The enemy is trying to attack, and the way that you protect that heart, those vital organs in your life is with faith in the work, the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, and faith in who he is and what he said. I don't know if you noticed a bit of a theme in our songs this morning. We were talking about the promises and the faithfulness of God. Faith in the faithfulness of God will protect your heart. Love for Christ, love for him and for his word and for his working and for his people will protect that heart. And that hope of salvation, your hope being set in the finished and accomplished work of Jesus Christ, his saving of you will protect your mind and your thoughts. It is your helmet of protection. Who are we that we would be asleep or drunk, or unprotected, unprepared for the attacks of the enemy. He's saying, no, no. He says, be sober, be awake, prepare, because the battle is real. We need to to be ready, and this begins with an alertness and preparedness. He's called this, this is what people of the day live with. Here's the next thing. People of the day live with a promise of salvation that is life-giving promise of salvation that's life-giving. This is the promise that God has given. Look at verse nine. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. All of us are deserving of the wrath of God. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. Yet in his love and in his kindness, he made a way that that wrath would be removed And it is the finished and accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So for those of you who are in Christ, who have trusted him for salvation, I would just say this, that there is not one drop of God's wrath that is remaining for you. Jesus has drank that entire cup and it is gone. It says says we are not destined for wrath, rather... The promise of God is that we would obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is available to all who would call on the name of Jesus. Says everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. You have but to acknowledge your need for a savior and turn to him as your savior. And this is a promise for your life as well. Because why? Jesus Christ died. He died for us. He gave his life up for us So that whether we are awake or asleep that we might live in him. The promise of salvation gives life not just for our future but for today. We live each and every day in the light of that truth. It's a transforming reality. And because we have this this picture of the end in mind and and where we're going and and what, what we're doing, this shapes who we are now. And he's called us to this. The promise is not for wrath but for salvation The way we achieve and understand and realize this promise is that through his death, we might live. And how do we live? Well, we live in holiness, set apart differently. We are the called out ones. God has called us to a new way of living. It should look different. Our lives should look different. Our priorities, our values, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the things that we care about, the things that we concern ourselves with, it should look different because he has set us apart and he's called us to life in him. He's died so that he could transform us and shape us and take us into this place. The promise of salvation, it's life-giving. And here's the fifth thing. People of the day live with a community of believers that's encouraging. It says in verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are enduring, are doing. Church, we need to continue to do this. This is like the third time that Paul said it in this letter. If you remember back a few weeks ago, we had a whole whole passage, whole sermon was right on um, that love for one another. We're called to love one another. And he said, last week, he said, encourage one another with these words. We're to encourage, build one another up. Again, he's reminding the church that you must encourage and build one another up as you're already doing. He says, keep going. Would this be the cry of our heart, church, that we would be doing this together, that we would be encouraging one another all the more with these truths? And I think, again, as we kind of come to these things, these, these finer nuances of eschatology and the end things, which do matter, again, I think you've heard me, let me say it again, they do matter, But we need to be careful of how we divide over these things because these are meant to be places that we are to be encouraged by and united over because there are a few things that Christians, all Christians, all followers of Jesus Christ can agree on and we need to be encouraged by these promises. We all agree this, all those who are in Christ agree this, that Christ is coming back again, okay? That's a promise, that's a guarantee, that is something that we hold on to. We agree that Satan will be defeated. Okay, the victory is sure. The end of the enemy is coming. He will be defeated forever. He will be bound up forever. He'll be punished forever. Satan will be defeated. And we believe this, that sin will be judged. God is righteous and he will not let sin go unchecked. Sin will be judged, but those in Christ will be saved those in Christ who believed upon him for salvation. And I just want to kind of take us all the way back to the beginning and just remind us of the the key truth, the key thing that Paul is trying to drive home here. It's this, is that our future reality must shape our present identity. You see, I used to uh, run uh, a lot of um, races, um, those days have, have gone, but every time I began a race, I always had, there was, a, there was a finish line, right? I never set out to run and didn't know where the finish line was. I knew what the course was, I knew where the finish line was, and I knew I needed to get there. And sometimes I was better at sort of, you know, gauging that race, sometimes I went out quick and didn't have much at the end. Other times I went out too slow and had like more at the end. But all the while, I was always running, every time, every race was like, I'm going to that finish line. I got to get all the way to the end. It does no good to start the race and not be able to finish it. But it changed the way that I ran. I ran with this expectation, this desire, this this kind of driving uh, uh, sort of thought of, of how am I going to get to the finish line? And this is the reality for us as believers that we live with that finish line in mind. The finish line is that Christ has accomplished that which we never could. He's coming back again to receive us with him And that we live our lives now, our days now, our weeks now, the decisions we make, the words we say, the relationships that we have, all these things are in light of that finish line. And so church, let's look expectantly with great expectation, with hope, with encouragement for one another toward that day which Christ will return, that we might live with him. Let's be people of the day now and enjoying this forever. Uh, that we would look forward to enjoying him forever in this way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your loving kindness toward us. Lord, you have worked on our behalf. God, you have offered us the gift of your salvation. And so God, we thank you for who you are, and the way that you've worked. And God, we acknowledge and we believe the identity that you have shaped us to be, to become. God, that you are transforming us in and through that. And so, God, we want to participate with you in that. We know that it's you who needs and who does the work, and so, God, we want to participate with you in that. We want to be a part of that. And so, God, I just pray for us as a church as your followers, as God, your family, that we would live with this end in mind. That we would be shaped by the reality of your coming again. We know that our time here is temporary. This world is not our home. God, the the weights that we carry, the burdens that we face, they will fade away someday. And all that's left is that, which has been done for you and done in your name. God, what you have accomplished, and so, Lord, we cling to that. Help us to have a greater picture, greater understanding of that. Lord, we long to see you again in your glory, to be with you in that way. God, we see this picture of who you are in your word. God, we long to see when you will return to the earth. God, that you will receive us with you, and that we will reign with you forever and ever because of what you've done. God, we thank you for who you are and the way you're working. We give you praise in this. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.